Hello and welcome to this episode of the Divine Comedians podcast. I'm your host, Paula Wiseman, and today I am lucky enough to be chatting with actor, writer, director, comedy actor, <laughs> performer, Gordon Kennedy. So, hey, Gordon, thanks so much for chatting with me today. Oh, listen, not at all. It's my absolute pleasure, Paula. I mean, you know, I mean, I can do this from the comfort of my home, which is more <laughs> than you did when we did the absolutely. <laughs> so I, I feel I feel I should have travelled somewhere. <laughs> gone through a bit so it was a bit more of an event but yeah no very happy to be joining you yeah so so generally I like to start by sort of going back in time and, and looking yeah. at you know childhoods of yeah. comedians it, it's something that a lot of us we don't really know too much we know about our favorite performers I mean what were you like as a kid were you kind of horrible a bit uh, no. <laughs> um uh well I, I'm the youngest of uh, three boys so I've got two older brothers who were they were, they were quite they were quite close to each other. They were about two years apart. And then I was sort of four years afterwards. So I always used to joke with my parents that I was the daughter they never had um, or or a mistake. I mean, who knows which. Um, and uh, I, I was also the smallest in my family by uh, quite a considerable margin. I, I come from a family of giants. Um, and I, I so I guess, and I was actually, although I'm not small now, I was quite small for my age. And I think that at a very early age kind of helped me in an all boys school that was very sporty and very academic that it kind of helped um you know I, I my way through to friendships and 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 peer groups was was humor um normally mercilessly taking the piss out of other people but um <laughs> as much as my lack of size would allow there was a certain point when the bigger boys would sort of go enough and you go yeah okay um but uh, uh so i think at that uh, and i always remember that really breaking through with my brothers as well when they realized that the that the kid the kid was quite funny and so that really helped in my relationships with them as well so it, it I think probably if I was sitting in the psychiatrist chair, I would say that part of it was the familial position and part of it was the fact that actually when I was younger, I wasn't, I was quite small. Uh, so I needed something else to get attention. Um, and so I sort of maybe honed a bit of impersonations and wit and funny voices. And also I would do quite stupid things in the classroom, which would always get bonus points with the rebels and the hard men. So it meant I, I, I survived my smaller years pretty unscathed, I think, compared to a lot of people. So, I mean, what do you, what you're, I mean, always being the, you know, the youngest sibling, I mean, it's always a bit of a fight, isn't it, with uh, sort of getting attention and stuff? Yeah, so definitely attention grabbing, attention seeking, um, and uh, and also just trying to stretch the performance envelope because I was the, I was the third one through the family, so the 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 first I mean having children myself, I know that the first child is very much the the bench test. <laughs> you sort of, you make all your mistakes with that, so I felt I should be pushing the boundaries even more when I was growing up because obviously my parents were very used to the general things that boys would do, so. Um, I, I tried to take it to another level, not very successfully, because I'm not particularly rebellious, really. But um, I, I, I drove my mother mad. But um, <laughs> but, but that's probably because we were quite alike. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, what was the dream as a kid? Did you like I know a lot of people, they want to be, you know, they want to be vets or a pilot or yeah, you know, okay. was, was there um, a dream when you were a kid? Uh, OK, I'm, I'm going to tell you and I've never told anyone this before. <laughs> so this is a world exclusive um, because I was on my own. Uh, quite a lot and and the school that I went to was about 10-15 miles away so I would spend a lot of 
summer holidays and stuff when I was growing up when I was a when I was a smaller kid on my own and I just just used to have this vivid imagination but I turned it to either being a bus driver or a road haulier my dream was to run a worldwide transport in the distance, <laughs> which is quite weird but that's the truth um I'm afraid and I used to love just cycling my bike, pretending it was a bus or a truck and going all these places. And then then eventually I got I got a summer job working for the co-op, East Lothian Co-op, which was just across the road from my house, uh, where I would deliver milk all over the all over the county. So that was kind of I kind of thought that was in a in a very small way was my my childhood dream coming true. And I also realized that it it actually in reality is quite dull. Um, so <laughs> it, it put paid to the fact that I was going to do that. And I thought, no, I that maybe try and do something else and 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 so in the meantime i i love television my my father is possibly one of the world's greatest laughers and um what's really interesting actually is that, that and and so he sort of inspired me to what you know i used to watch a lot of comedy with him watching television when my other brothers were out you know womanizing and drinking um <laughs> and i used to love that because he he's just a great laugher and funnily enough when we put absolutely i skipping forward a little bit when we put absolutely out on dvd one of the really unexpected treats for me because my father sadly is no longer with us was listening to the first few certainly the first series of absolutely when we were recording it at london studios and i think the vast majority of the audience thought they were coming to see surprise surprise or something <laughs> like that and, and they got and they got you know moena banks with a gynecological sketches and and frank hovis um farting on the toilet so you know there was a, a there wasn't there was like there was a group's friends of ours and people that knew us that would laugh so you could really hear them laugh and it's a it's my it's a such a fantastic thing that i can absolutely hear my father guffawing at some of the rudest stuff we did actually he, he had a he, it really expanded his sense of humor <laughs> his son going into television comedy but it but it's brilliant and it's a fantastic memory of him i've got he's still alive on on the absolutely dvds which was which was after when i first heard it i almost couldn't believe it because obviously you know we we were involved with the mixing and it'd been years since i heard it so when we played them I, I, it was just fantastic but so so i used to watch a lot of comedy with my, yeah. you know a, a bit of comedy on television with my dad and so you know growing up I, you know Stanley Baxter and the Pythons were things that I absolutely loved I mean Stanley Baxter I think was probably the first one because uh, I just his range and also you know he was a brilliant actor who just had yeah, to yeah. do things funnily and I and I always felt that that was a sort of route I wanted to go down because I loved pretending and I didn't uh, I didn't really care if it was going to be you know, comedy or drama, I, but I never was in with the drama crowd. So I just did comedy. Um, but it was always my ambition to sort of do just, just, just to do it. And I, and I never, ever really saw the difference actually um, between, you know, uh, sketchful comedy and, and doing dramas because you're, you're doing characters and you've got yeah. within the context of whatever you're doing, you have to make the character fit and be believable. And you have to get a response from the audience, you know, and, 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 and that's a laugh and that, and that's, that's quite hard. Yeah, I suppose you would have had that kinship as well with uh, Stanley Baxter. Yeah, oh no, completely, completely. And it was just, you know, it is interesting kind of looking back at some of his stuff because his stuff was just extraordinary and amazing kind of production vibes that he always insisted on. And in fact, and in a way, that's why he kind of, Cut, cut the whole thing short because they were trying to trim his budget and he just said I can't do it if we can't mm. do the big extravaganzas but you know just to see him going from sort of um 
you know, Pollyanna Glasgow to being the queen doing the Christmas, you know, when he did his Christmas special. It was just extraordinary how he did it. So, I, but he was a massive influence. And I, and I was very lucky to see him and Ricky Fulton, who was another one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I saw them, you know, live in pantomimes at the King's Theatre in Edinburgh. So I loved that. And uh, I think, and then when I was getting to a point where I was, you know, I was sort of, you know, slightly older you know the pythons came along and that to me was just it, quite extraordinary um and uh loving it and just loving the idea that you know the next day you'd talk about the sketches in the playground because that's what you would do which was and it was fantastic later on in our lives to hear that that sometimes when we were absolutely at our very best occasionally a sketch was discussed in the school playground when we were doing absolutely which was fantastic yeah, I mean, that was all part of it, wasn't it? Going into the playground the next day. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Hit, like the fast show, for example, you'd go in and you'd hear people would be quoting, oh, did you see that last night? And be Completely. quoting catchphrases yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it got it got slightly hijacked, doesn't it? Because it sort of became called the water cooler moment. And I always, yes. I always, I always felt it was just outside the fifth form bulbs moment. Um, <laughs> Because that's that's where we did, you know, you're literally going and seeing who could do the best Ministry of Silly Walks and, and really injuring yourself doing it. Um, and then, you know, and then, you know, going into the classroom and just standing up at various points saying, nobody expects the Spanish, you know. And the maths teacher turned around going, oh, Jesus, you know, because most of them would have watched it as well, but they kind of realised that it was, the lesson was gone by then. Yeah, but it was, I don't know, I've always kind of said, thought it's a bit of a, comedy can be a very generational thing. You know, you're obviously watching things that your parents wouldn't understand. Mm. You know, like Vic and Bob would be case in point for a lot of people. Yeah. Watching Vic and Bob and your your parents are like, <laughs> what yeah. is You know, and they would have grown up with the goons and. All yeah, those yeah, guys. yeah. Totally I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean, I think I think you know, mum and dad were incredibly supportive of of me doing my stuff and going off to London and, uh, you know, which is not the normal sort of path for somebody who'd gone to a sort of a, a, a merchant company school in Edinburgh. You know, you're, you're meant to be a lawyer or an accountant or something. But they were, incre- you know, I'd, I'd been to college and I'd, I'd got my backup qualification, if you like. But they were incredibly supportive of of me doing it, which I think was really important because I was not, a, I never really have been a person that just, you know, I need support to make those mm. big decisions. I'm not, I'm, I'm not, a, uh, I don't have that fortitude just to go, oh, stuff you all, I'm going to go and do it. And uh, so it was important that they supported and and I had my friends with me, which were the, the guys that eventually became, that we when we were absolutely. So you went to college, you, you went to uni. Yeah, I, I went, I, first thing I did was I, I, studied, I spent a year studying architecture in Aberdeen. Um, I think now looking back, again, I, I feel this is therapy, which is good for me. Thank you. <laughs> Um, but I, I think looking back, the only reason I can really see for me thinking I'd be an architect was because I watched the film Don't Look Now. Right. Um, and Donald Sutherland and Julie Christie, as you know, have a fairly impressive scene in that film. And I thought, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an architect, but much more importantly, I'm going to marry whoever Julie Christie happens to be age appropriate when I get there. And uh, sadly, that that dream only lasted a year because uh, I was possibly the worst architecture student they'd ever had so I then went away and uh, sold uh, toilet rolls for a year uh, wow. just as a, as a company rep in a, in a, in a, in a car which was great because I you know I had suits I had um, a car which uh, in those days was you know if you couldn't get going with girls with a car and an income like you I... really weren't doing very yeah. well um, and I and I let me tell you I was not doing very well um, and then I went to PE college in, in Glasgow, 
uh, which is quite handy because when I first came down to London and I was trying to get out of just doing comedy, so I go to drama auditions, mm. for plays or for television shows and stuff. They would always ask, especially in those days, because they were very pigeonholed and they were very distrustful of somebody who'd done comedy. And they said, oh, where did you train? And I would say, oh, I was in Glasgow, I was at the SSPE. And they would nod very seriously, not knowing that the SSPE was a Scottish School of Physical Education. I think they <laughs> thought it was some sort of secondary RADA or RAMDA or whatever. And um, uh, so that was quite handy. But yeah, so I spent four years in Glasgow doing that because I love you know my my big love was sport especially at that time mm. and I was playing a lot of sport and I was playing it to quite a high level but in the summertime I didn't really play summer sports much then in the summertime we'd started doing uh going to the Edinburgh Fringe because we'd, we'd all done charity shows with a youth group or the, the the four Scottish boys that were in absolutely um and we used to do them at Christmas time uh at the Churchill Theatre which is a fringe venue in in Edinburgh but it's quite a big theatre and we would do it as part of a youth group. Uh, mm. The reason we went there as a youth group was because uh, we were at an all boys school and it was a place where we could meet girls. <laughs> what, we were, what we were about. And it was, it, you know, the, 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 prob the problem as far as the logistical problem was that it was a church youth group. So there had to be an element of, you know, not going to church, but sort yeah, of being, yeah. being quite nice and not not tearing the place up and then once but once a year this group would do a, a comedy sketch show for the great burgers of Morningside and Brunsfield and um and so that's really where we first started doing stuff and and because you know the the four of us plus a few other people were kind of central to the show we used to write a lot we used to do a lot of the performing and we kind of really enjoyed it because we found that you know hello maybe we're quite funny it's all right and then two guys who were involved in that show said we want to do a show in the fringe would you do it with us and so we did that was back in 1980 uh, and we were terrible I mean, you know unapologetically terrible um but because we were local we sold out um and uh, i remember years later meeting various people who were on the perry panel that year at at edinburgh and who you know they generally would look around and see what comedy shows were selling out and they'd think yeah well, yeah something good about that and they saw and they, they sent about three people along to this show on different occasions because the first one came out and said I think this is shit am I wrong am I missing something and then they sent someone else and then I met somebody who was, who was a journalist who had been writing for I don't know the spectator one of the big, yeah yeah you know one of those weekly magazines and she said her review was so bad she didn't eventually she didn't put it in to get printed which I think was probably quite good because they might have given up if it had been really horrible yeah. So, so yeah, so I was at college, but in the summertime, uh, my summer job, if you like, was doing a show in the fringe and it started very humbly with this show. And then eventually people left, people came in and eventually we got better. And after four or five years, we got Perry nominated, which prompted the move down to, down to London. Yeah. But I mean, you've, you've worked with some of the greats uh, in your early career, like Kenny Everett, you, you worked with. Yeah. Yeah. Russ yeah. Abbott, Halem yeah. 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 Oh, I mean, I, Hale and, Pace, Hale and Pace is very funny because when I first came down to London, we did the, the Dolmar Warehouse thing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Murray and Jack, Murray Hunter and Jack Doherty were were writing a lot and they were writing for uh, Spitting Image and stuff like that. So mm, they were yeah, getting yeah. good money. Um, but I'd, I'd, I'd uh, because I was a teacher, a PE teacher, they were desperate for people to be supply PE teachers in London because it meant that the kids didn't have to go and sit in a classroom and someone's off on maternity leave or something like that so I went I started teaching out in uh, a place called Abbey Wood which is in East 
uh, southeast London, but near near Woolwich and uh, other glorious places in London like that. And um, I went in that week, and I and I I, I was I just started at the school, and I was just saying to the talking to the kids, saying, "Oh, by the way, sorry, I'm really sorry," and I was sort of showing off. I said, "I won't be in on Friday because." Sadly, I'm doing a radio recording for BBC Radio 4. And the kids were terribly unimpressed by this. And I just assumed it was just because they were unimpressed with everything. So I talked to the, the head of department after this. And they said, no, 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 you don't understand. But the last supply teachers we had in here were hail and pace. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd, so they, because they were PE teachers as well. I didn't oh, know this. I didn't until like, I worked again. with them. But I didn't know this, but they'd been, and they were based in Southeast London. And wow. so in between when they, they were touring and they're doing stuff, but they'd gone in and they'd done, they'd done some supply teaching at Abbey Wood, not that long before me. And they, but they were now off on ITV. So they'd gone off to do a television show. And of course me saying I was going off to do a radio show, terribly unimpressive. So uh, yeah, so that was very funny. So when I met them, it was really through our producer um, of the radio show and absolutely Alan Nixon, um, He'd also was he was also producing other comedy shows, one of which was Hail and Pace. So he sort of kept me in in food and water for a couple of years when I was sort of supply teaching, and then also going in to do the odd the odd show uh, at LWT for for that. And then I, and then you know meeting uh, Kenny Everett. I think the first thing I did was a sketch on the Paul Daniels Magic Show, <laughs> right? Which was in and it was in the Lake District for some reason. I can't ironically. The, which is really bizarre. So it was the first job outside doing the radio stuff that I'd done, and and first job I'd done in television was for the Kenny was for this uh, this show, and I can't remember how I got the part. But anyway, I got it, and for, ironically, I was playing Little John in this comedy magic sketch that they were doing this huge budget thing, and for some reason, Donald Campbell's daughter was there on the lake with a very fast motorboat. I can't really remember why, but anyway. Um, so and Alan was was helping with that as well. So so he sort of kept me in, you know, kept me clothed and uh, fed and watered for the first couple of years because I, I I then got an agent and uh, the, the the sort of first job I got in television was Russ Abbott because uh, he just moved over to the BBC and um, they just needed somebody to go into sketches. So I mean, which you know, so at the addition it was great. I was just doing what I do normally. Um, so I did that for a for a season of that, and did a pantomime with Les Dawson. Actually, you can see oh, you, wow. the, your listeners can't, but if you if you just look over there, you see there that's Les Dawson. Yeah, I've got a signed poster of Les Dawson wow. from the pantomime, and uh, which is which is great. Um, but yeah, so so I I was sort of doing that was quite interesting because it was it was weird coming from the channel from sort of the fringe and doing stuff in the comedy circuit. Mm. And then going in to meet people like Russ Abbott and working yeah. with people like Russ Abbott, Ken Everett, who were sort of seen, they weren't seen as the enemy at all, but they were a very different part of comedy um, with very different people. But it was but it was really interesting because I remember meeting the late, great Barry Cryer on our first day at um, at uh, at Russ Abbott. And of course, you know, I'd come in and I was, you know, I was just this bloke who's, you know, had done a couple of radio shows. And Barry Cryer came in and I said, oh, at last, a bit of class to me. And I was sort of going, and I realized who he was. I knew who he was. And he sort of came out and shoot my hand. And he said, oh, it's great. Thank goodness you're doing this. This is great. You're doing it. And it was such a lovely thing to say. And he knew all about, uh, um, you know, the Bodgers, which is what we were in Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. And he knew all about that sort of stuff. Um, and then and then his one piece of advice to me was, 
course. Always be nice to the floor managers in the studio, Gordon, because that's the next controller of BBC. <laughs> Which was a great Barry Cryer saying. But yeah, so so it was uh, it was really interesting. And again, I mean the the you know the rules of comedy, I guess, were very different. But the rules for you being an actor, and it weren't. You just went on and you did the same thing. You did comedy characters and and all that stuff. And and it was a really good. I guess it was quite a good training because it was quite, you know, it was quite, uh, you know, it was quite quick. The turnaround you did a week, and 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 you had to get into what their their whole way of performing was, and mm. I I just had no idea about that because I'd, we'd always just been ourselves writing our own gags. So it was quite interesting doing stuff for other people. And then uh, very luckily, I got to work with Ken Everett, which was extraordinary. And again, he was another guy who was just really interested in comedy. I mean, I I went, went into his. I'd, for some reason I was chatting away and I'd, I went to ask him a question about a sketch we were doing or something and then we sat down but we ended up talking for you know well over an hour and a half when they were mm. resetting something and he was just a really really interesting and intelligent guy talking about comedy and and where it's going and what about you know because at that time the, the alternative circuit was on which a lot of people were sort of I think felt threatened by or whatever. Yeah, and, yeah. and of course he was having none of that because, you know, he he probably identified more with that. He said, thank God somebody's taking the heat off me, crossing my legs dressed as a woman with an orange <laughs> you know. Um, but but he was he was really, really interesting to talk to. Um, and it was, um, uh, yeah, I was just very lucky. I didn't really think about it at the time. I was sort of scrabbling around just trying to get sort of shows and gigs. Um, uh, and, I'd, and I'd got an agent by then. So, um, and, and then... We were forming ourselves into a show. We formed an alliance with sort of John Sparks and Moena Banks, did a radio show with them, and then we were trying to get t- television organised, um, which was, which again was 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 really exciting. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the the, the viewerships of the eighties on TV, you know, it's yeah nothing like you'd get now. And obviously, like Russ Abbott on a Saturday night would just be in million in their millions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even he was getting, you know, he was getting sort of north of twenty million mm. um, for for the for the Christmas specials. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and you know that's that's what happened. Um, and it was extraordinary because it, it it took a bit of getting used to because having just done live stuff and then done a bit of radio, but in front of a live audience and stuff. Then you television and you kind of there's an audience there, but you're very distant from them. Yeah, yeah. And then you suddenly realize that twenty million or fifteen million people watch the show. It's you know it's just bizarre. Uh, and also, it's kind of interesting to think about that now when you see, yeah. you know, good viewing figures are sort of two and three million. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'd say you wouldn't have tried not to have thought about it back then, because, I mean, you know. Uh, no, I didn't. I mean, the, the only time I really thought about it was when when I when eventually for my sins, I was presenting the National Lottery, because that that was that was just staring straight down the camera. And when the red light came on, you knew that, the, and, and, then, and that was massive. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That, I think that still holds the record at one point for a Saturday night show when they did it. It, it went out in front of 30 million people. I don't oh know why. I think it was because it was a huge double rollover or something. But I remember but that thing about just that light on the top of the yeah, camera yeah. when it went on, that there was... Uh, <laughs> just focus on the light. <laughs> yeah, and not remotely interested in you. They were only interested in six numbers, which is, again, really? was a quite kind of weird thing. They, they'd be very interested in you if you completely fucked it up or cocked the whole thing up or yeah, forgot yeah. your lines or... Or said something wrong, or read out the wrong number, or something. They were very interested. But if you, if things went according to plan, which they inevitably did, because it wasn't yeah. that difficult a thing to do, um, uh, they weren't remotely interested in you. They were much more interested in the in the six numbers that were coming out. <laughs> so obviously, absolutely, one of my first big comedy obsessions 
four series, 89 to 94. Like for anyone not lucky enough <laughs> of, of my listeners to to know of absolutely how how would you describe it? Um kind of a just a a, a, a sketch show of its time. Um yeah. uh it, you know, it was interesting what you were saying about comedy and how it goes. I mean, I think comedy does go in circles and cycles. Mm. And I think we were very lucky that we kind of happened upon a point when satire had been absolutely massive. So spitting images at the height of its pomp, Saturday Night Live, things like that were happening. And then absolutely came in and it was just not like that. It wasn't that it didn't make satirical points. It wasn't that there wasn't, you know, having a go at at the big targets because that's what sketch shows do. But Mm. we just did it in an incredibly kind of stupid and you know, literary way in a way, you know, yeah. uh, Jack and Murray were obsessed with words. And so that yeah, was yeah. really important. And also it was very much a product of its process because there was six of us, all of us Celts, which yeah. I think is interesting. Yeah. But it was all, and Channel 4 kind of gave us the keys to the kingdom and said, look, go and make the show. And all they would do is edit. They'd just say, no, that's not funny enough. Write something funnier. They wouldn't say, no, you have to make this, funny in this particular way which can happen and does happen a huge amount so we were left to our own devices so the stuff our obsessions so it was incredibly particular and peculiar because people used to ask you know where's the show from is it glasgow is it edinburgh is it and actually we said no it's actually just six people's brains yeah yeah um and we were allowed to do the things that obsessed us so something like you know, Stony Bridge occurred because, you know, uh, it was uh, uh, Jack Doc's idea, Jack Doc's idea. But the reason that we all tuned in is because we were all, especially in Scotland, the, the, the small the, the small man who thinks he's a general is a massive sort of thing. And, and Scotland is a collection of tiny little towns that have, and people get incredibly competitive, especially yeah. the borders and all that sort of stuff. So that wasn't, that felt very peculiar to us but we were we found it very very funny and of course what happens is the more particular uh, and singular you make something the more gen- generally speaking the more that people appreciate it because mm. it's so focused so you know stonybridge is a great example of that yeah. um you know uh, mcglashan again was you know we because we worried you know we worried about doing mcglashan uh, down in England, because you'd think, well, yeah. are they going to are they going to get the idea that this is a joke and not it's not because because it, it really <laughs> was just a rant um, that somebody that a politician you know yeah. this is before the days of devolution in the SNP but some radical nationalist would, could has probably said I mean John may well have ripped them off I don't know but I mean but we thought it was very funny uh, because it was so because his point of view was so singular and so myopic and and uh and again people just absolutely loved that you know when we you know when we did the thing about the when I remember the reaction the one we were most worried about was the one we were talking appropriately enough about the world cup draw because in those days Scotland was getting into the world cup and it was all that thing that you know if it's Scotland get Argentina Brazil Brazil West Germany Argentina and Brazil and England you know they get Latvia Lapland and me and my (laughs) mum and you know and and you're kind of thinking god is that is that you know are they just going to be insulted by that because it's not because it wasn't really true apart from anything else (laughs) and uh, but they absolutely loved it and they just whooped with laughter and and so you know, it, it was very, it was our particular obsessions. And I think if you take your obsessions and you write and you write about them or you perform them, then I think it does, 
it, it becomes very kind of in a culty way. People just love that because they see it's coming just from you. Mm. And, and characters, obviously, we'd, you know, you'd have the characters coming back, like the little girl, the nice yeah. family. I particularly yeah, yeah. loved your, your turn at the sink. Uh, most weeks was uh, was a sight to behold. I, I very much. I mean, I I I remember um, meeting um, Gary Olson. I don't know if you remember him. He was the father in Two Point Four Children. So he was a big yes, BBC yes. One, you know, sitcom star. And he uh, he was asking how 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 we could fix it so that he could be my sister. <laughs> Which I thought was a great idea. I laugh for the rest of the day, and I suggest we never got drowned to it. And then the, the, the guy died, which is a very sad thing. Yeah. But um, really quite young. But um, but he but he'd wanted to be my sister come to visit, <laughs> and it just the two of us because because to be fair, both both me and Gary were quite wide as actors go, and so you know the two of us sitting at the sink, and I just thought that was the funniest idea, and having conversations just going, <laughs> you know. And he so he was utterly obsessed by it, which was a huge compliment. But also, I loved I loved that idea and the plate spinning stuff. I loved that was my uh, that was my favourite thing. When there was a moment of tension in the nice family, mother would spin a plate <laughs> when it was drying. And go, you know, um, yeah, no, no, yeah. But the but returning characters is uh, I mean, it's it was a way of sort of building stuff up. Yeah, you know, yeah. We wanted them to build up, and also, you know, we but funnily enough. Stony Bridge wasn't a huge priority. We kind of thought it was all right when we'd done it in the first series. Um, and uh, that was really interesting. That the, that thing I was talking about television, when it just goes down the tube and you don't really, you don't really know the reaction to it. I mean, there was yeah, people yeah. that, there was people that wrote, a few people wrote in, but it was on Channel 4, so everyone was too cool to write fan letters. They just, they just watched it and talked about it, which is great. But, you know, we didn't really get very much of that. And I remember walking onto the set to do the first Stony Bridge se- in the second series and the lights going up in the set and us walking on and just got this massive round of applause, which literally everybody checked their flies. You know, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, have we done something wrong? Cause we just, we had no idea that it was as, as popular as it obviously was. And then of course you sit down, you, as soon as you start speaking, we couldn't get through the sketches because people just laughed so much at the at the kind of the, the the voices. They were just so pleased to be in the room with it. You know, it was sort yeah. of lot of nasal, <laughs> lot of nasal tones. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes, and and I mean, you know, but that that again, that is brilliant. That there was it was one poor person that had done a, t- a, a Pete had been working on something. I can't even remember where it was, but the the nasal thing came from a really weird angle. It was like. Somebody had done a test, a, 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 a sort of a, a, a voice to, to, they were going to get somebody famous to do it. But this chap had just done it. He was a producer of some sort. And he just happened to speak like that. <laughs> and we just, and we, it was one of those things. We just kept playing it late at night, drunk. Pete would put it on because it was one of his things that he was putting his his music to. So yeah, that's yeah. what it was. But my God, it was just, it, it, you know, and you think where it came from and why that, why that became the thing. Is sort of extraordinary. So that was nothing to do with Stony. We just thought we'd better put on funny voices because we weren't sure it was very funny to start with. I think I don't know. That's the thing. Everyone knows. Uh, you know, you hear people go Stony Bridge. Yeah, yeah. Everyone to, to this day. It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I remember going on a football chat show and the Scottish host insisted I would do Stony Bridge, and then I had to do the commissioner. <laughs> So bizarre, whistling and hooting and doing all that stuff on a football chat show. We're supposed to be talking about football, but anyway, he he just said, "No, we're going to take five minutes out to talk about it. absolutely." So it was very fun. 
But where talk about the commissioner? Where did where did he come from? Um, I think he was a character I sort of started on in um, when I did a, 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 at one point when we moved to London, we'd done the sort of the the radio show, we'd done the, the Perry stuff. We weren't going back to Edinburgh, and, and I was, it was really quiet, and I was just getting very frustrated. And so eventually, I just said, "Right, I've got to sort of prove to myself that I can still do this, even though I'm not working at the moment." So I just went up to Edinburgh and did a one-man show, which is a lot of it was absolute nonsense, but it was quite good fun because I did a, a few characters in it. And one of them, I think, was a psychopathic PE teacher, funnily enough, um, because I'd, I'd witnessed quite a lot of that and probably was that my very self. Um, and I think that's how it started. And then one, when we had an office, there was a commissioner on the front door and he was just hilarious about we would go. It was we were in someone else's office. But we were there for months because we're doing the pre, but, you know, writing the show and doing all that stuff. And he would always ask us for our name on the way in. And it just became <laughs> it just became hilarious. And eventually we got and they got an answer phone system, but that didn't matter. He, You still had to get past him. So he started mucking about with the answer phone system and started, you know, t- talking to him and saying his <laughs> name. He didn't know where the voices were coming from. I think so. He probably ruined that guy's life. But anyway, but he was in the proper commissioner's uniform in Soho Square, which is really weird because it's like, it's not like a lot of offices were like that, but yeah. this one was. And as I say, the thing that got us was the fact that we had, an, there was an answer phone system. So somebody would ring the bell and you go, yeah, no, just come up. And it would be, be 10 minutes later because this guy had been <laughs> demanding to see, you know, demanding that he phoned his mother or get a sample of his blood or something. So I think that's where it came from. And then, um, and then the sound effects, that that again was just people I, I'd worked with in the removal trade that, they used to talk about when they were giving you directions, they literally would say, out there, and, and you go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, go on, son, you'll be all right, you'll be all right. Because this is before the days of sat-nav. So, yeah. But that's. But I suppose that's how those, they're always combinations of stuff that just sit at the back of your brain and and then come out. And then, and then you know, I remember we did quite a lot with McGlashan and his brother, McMinn, um, who eventually became a much bigger character in the in the radio show. But that again was just trying to find the the exact opposite of who McGlashan was and make him his make him his kind of brother in a way. Or in fact, I think in the sketch he was he was his literary agent. But it was just the idea of trying to make him this person who was really uh, was very happy to celebrate Scottish culture, as in shortbread tins guilt that that's what scotland meant to him and he ran a a, a gift shop or, or did or wanted to do scottish plays that were that were lovely celebrated like brigadoon you know it was which was which which again and that that seemed to work quite well because it infuriated mcglashan which has always made him much funnier so it's yeah uh, we had lovely murray murray hunter was on the podcast yes. a little while back um and he talked a little bit about his writing process and obviously he worked a lot with jack yeah. Back in the day. Uh, what was your own writing process? Did you have a partner? Do you, were you doing your own? Um, your own I, d- I didn't write a huge amount. I mean, I wrote a few characters. So like the commissioner was mainly me and stuff like that. But then I I worked with, I loved working with John Spark. We, John Sparks and I used to do quite physical stuff. Um, so we did a, we did a run of sketches that we called the dancing surgeons, which was just, I mean, even, even for absolutely, it was kind of bonkers. I, we just came in with the, with the gloves yeah, and the, and the thing across our face and sort of danced around and um, very strange um, and never made a best of date, but they're, they're all on the DVD. <laughs> but um, I love that. And then, and then when, and I used to do stuff, the odd, the odd thing we did, a, a, which I really enjoyed was a, 
maybe sees three and four, maybe we did us because at that time that was when the newspaper, the European was was being published. And and it was when it's funny to think about it now, but it was when that that stage of of mm-hmm. kind of politics, people were completely in love with Europe and the idea of being so we were slightly um taking on European cultures. And it was this thing about people not just saying can I have a baguette or a or a croissant, they would sort of say it in a very French yeah, accent. Yeah, yeah. Which when and I just thought this was hilarious. And anything that we could do to just put on silly voices, we very much enjoyed. So so we started doing these these sketches called the called the Europeans when they would pass the buckle and their accents just got ludicrous. It was buckle and all this stuff. And I remember I remember the night before the the recording I was just going through my lines and we were, I was babysitting with my then girlfriend who was to become my wife. And uh, she was just reading the lines in for me. And she uh, did that one and just turned around and said, oh, I have absolutely no idea why you're doing this. <laughs> this is terrible. What is, there's nothing, there's no jokes. There's no, you know, which, which to be fair, was a, was a, was a, was a criticism you could level absolutely <laughs> almost on every, on every level. But they just said, there's no jokes in this. What are you doing? What's rubbish? And this is the night before I'm going out. And she produced, she produced uh, commercials for, she was a big agency producer right. for doing commercials. So she didn't hold a, you know, she didn't hold back her punches at all. And I was going, no, I think it is quite funny. Uh, but then that was great because she was in the audience the next night next night when it got a massive ovation for the audience. And I was literally, I was bowing in front of her when the applause was going out. <laughs> and nobody quite knew why I was there. As I said, just making a point and then walked off to the, to the next sketch. So, yeah. So my, yeah, so my process was actually probably doing as little as possible, uh, but just getting lots of characters to do. Because I definitely wrote the least, I would have thought, out of all of us. I wasn't... I was never a, I was much more of a performer and less of a writer, but I did enjoy the doing the physical stuff with John. And then when and I would always uh, combine, collaborate on a few things as well. Yeah. And then obviously going forward in time, forward in time, you were approached to, 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 to get all get back together again for the absolutely uh, sketch show. I mean, that must yeah. have been a dream come uh, true. Uh, yes. I mean, Gus Beattie will tell you a different story, but I, I don't <laughs> John and I, John and I were doing a radio show, doing bits in a radio show called Modern, which was David Kay, very funny Scottish writer, and he was recording up in Scotland. And there was one time we were snowed in, but because we'd flown up before the snow, we were actually very near the studio. So John and I turned up, and almost no, everyone else was walking from various parts of Glasgow because it was just it was like eight inches of snow. And apparently during that time, Gus had had this conversation with us because there was a, there was a show, Radio Four show going out called Sketcharama, which was new sketch groups. And he was he reckoned that it, it needed a bit of spicing up, so he was going to get some old sketch groups to do their sketches along with the new ones. And he thought that'd be quite a nice way to drag people to the show, sort of thing. Um, and he said, you know, will we do it? And he said at the time that John and I had said yes, but I'm pretty sure either we were suffering from <laughs> exposure or 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 he's he just that's his ball. Because I don't remember ever having that conversation. But I, but then uh Gus and, and the other people at the comedy unit had sort of said, No, we'd love to get absolutely to do it. And we kind of heard about this and went, Oh, what, what do you want us to do? And I and I was very pessimistic with Gus. I said, I I just I I would be very surprised if we'll do this because we haven't, you know, we haven't done anything for Yeah, yeah. We we all work together in different ways now. We never really stopped working together. So it, it absolutely was just put in the absolutely cupboard and that was mm. it. Um, and then we met at the Wrestlers Arms in Highgate, which is um, uh, it should have a blue plaque above it now, hopefully. Um, but anyway, we went there and 
it, I, I got on the phone to Gus the next day and I said, well, the great news is it wasn't a laugh. And of course not. Don't you dare get me another pint. It was all oh, that. Mm, probably not. But yeah, that's quite interesting. And then and then so we then we met up again. And then by that stage, uh, Jack Doherty, bless him, he was doing a, quite a big radio show that he was writing and performing. And he said, look, I'm, you know, and he I mean, he was he was never the one to look back in his career anyway. Yeah, yeah, right yeah. And he just said, look, I, I, I have to duck out. But please, if you guys want to do it, do it with my blessing, which was yeah. which was lovely. And so very soon we were down to five, but that was fine. And they said, you know, and it was just a one off. It was just literally doing this. And he, and Gus had said, well, go up, come up to Glasgow. We'll do it. There'll be a bit of publicity about it. Now, we hadn't done the absolutely, I mean, this is 2004, so it had been nearly 20 years. Yeah. Um, uh, I see that shuddering because obviously in my mind's eye, I'm 25. It's just weird when you see things like that. But anyway, so, you know, we hadn't done it. Uh, at all so they wanted some of the older sketches and that was fine um and i but i seem to remember i started a conversation about stony bridge and just said look you know it's 20 this was 2013 the end of 2013 when we were thinking about it i said there's an enormous elephant in the room with stony bridge because everyone remembers stony bridge olympics that was the first sketch we sort of did in a way and if we don't talk about them I mean, and you forget that the the echoes of the London Olympics went on for years and oh, Britain yeah. was cool again and it's great and aren't we marvellous and <laughs> as you know fairly short-lived but <laughs> it was still there then and I just thought well we have to do something about that even if it's just the interest of a sketch and then Murray and Moena went off and wrote a whole thing about well, if we can't get the Olympic whatever we're going to do and then we did another Stony Bridge sketch as well so that slightly opened Pandora's box because mm. obviously I, I, I was talking to somebody about this the other day and I was saying it, the characters are almost like comedy characters that you've done in your life. They're almost like ventriloquist dummies in the sense that they slightly take over when you're doing them and, yeah, and they yeah. go in a direction you maybe didn't expect. I'm not saying they're talking, but but they will go because of audience reaction or because of what you want to write or because you they'll go in a certain direction that you maybe didn't think at the start. And of course, none of these people assorted band of strange people had spoken for 20 years so funnily enough when we started talking about it, everyone started going oh hang on well, what about what would the little girl talk about yeah yeah and you know frank always is going to visit his dying dad and you know and that's going to be very funny john sparks assured us and all this sort of <laughs> stuff so we started writing new material and and i and i did the same i i suddenly thought that that McMinn was a character I'd never really thought we'd I'd done enough of, and there was he had a bit, and what what could he do, and how would he work, and all that sort of stuff. So anyway, we all sort of started writing a bit of material as well as taking the classic sketches, but it, all the while thinking we were going to turn up to Glasgow to three men and an old dog, and nobody was going to remember us, nobody was going to like it. They would all go, I don't know what you're doing, all this stuff. So then we arrive at the venue in Glasgow. It's packed 300 seats and it's this as you know this fantastic kind of cavern it's like it's like yeah. a cavern it, that's what it looks like because it's a crypt um and then so we rehearse our stuff and that's all fine and everyone's very enthusiastic apart from us we're thinking have we made a huge mistake here especially because we're doing new material i think nobody's gonna like anyway and then this young sketch group go out full of people who are now all a lot of them are working and writing brilliant writers and performers uh, in their own right now they went out and did a very funny set and the audience was laughing at them. And we were sitting backstairs cacking ourselves because they just thought, well, of course, they're young people. They like yeah, this yeah. is what they're going to want. And then 
you know, they went off and then they introduced us. And then the theme music played and the place just went absolutely bananas. And it was astonishing. I mean, just um, in, I mean, I'll just, I'll never forget it. And we were all slightly stunned. Uh, and then we all sat down because obviously the first thing we were going to do was going to be a Stony Bridge sketch. And I was about to start reading it. And then Murray, Murray brilliantly, and I mean, it's just, I know it probably was accidental, but it's comedy genius. Murray, first time we've done absolutely in 20 years, says, oh, I can't find my glasses. <laughs> and he'd forgotten to bring his fucking glasses, his spectacles on stage. So literally there's a huge ovation and there's all this love in the room. And then Murray goes, oh, hang on. I've left my specs backstage. And then he had a microphone on. So then we heard him looking for his spectacles, which I'm pretty <laughs> sure a lot of the audience thought was a rehearsed sketch. But brilliantly, it completely broke the ice. It meant that, they, that the conversation then started between the audience and us on stage, which carried on, you know, for all the series. But, the, but then, you know, and then the night was just absolutely fantastic. We had a great time doing it. We just loved it. And then, you know, got the chance to meet people like you and a few other people afterwards. Um, my 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 big memory of that night was a, was a guy who was older than me um, saying that his son, who was there standing beside him, had watched it as a student and got him into it and he'd loved it. And his grandson was there and he'd never seen yeah, it before. Yeah, yeah. And he now loved it. And it was, it was one of those moments and literally just welling up with this, the sort of the emotion of the night. And it was, so that first night was great. And then the show went out and it was good, but we'd recorded about over an hour's worth of material. So we, we said to Radio 4, and a lot of the stuff that we'd left out had been new stuff, purely because the remit was that we had to do a few older sketches that people might recognize for sketcharama then then we managed to get enough material there to do a special which was just us um and radio 4 really liked that and said would you do a series Ugh, and here we are here we are yeah, oh man uh, it's just yeah, it's, it's and... so so incredible as i said like my mind was 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 totally blown sort of the the young me having watched you guys doing your thing back in the yeah. day and then seeing you all live on stage was this thing but, but yeah but you but you came over from dublin I mean, that's, <laughs> that's all we almost no, we, oh, when we heard when gus told us about it so gus, so gus told us about this before and uh and he was really enthusiastic about it and we were thinking of calling the police <laughs> i've got to say we just said come on this we and everyone was going who do we owe money to yeah. in ireland ireland <laughs> Can't think anyway, no, but that which, but that again, it was just, it was just part of that nuttiness that we just because, as I said before, when you do a television show, it yeah. goes down a tube, there's a few people there laughing, yeah. whatever, and you have really have no idea. Uh, you might meet the old person in the street, but you don't realize that, it, of course, it has a resonance, and, and it, you know, because we did four series of the thing, so it's not really that surprising, I suppose. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a, um, it's a continuous ripple, isn't it? You know, and the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Fact yeah. That, that ripple is still going, is but the, yeah, but just the testament the, to what you what you did, you know. But, uh, but also, it was just such a great opportunity for us to sort of to properly reboot it. So the characters were all much, much older. So they were all talking about different, you know, so Callum's perspective, Frank's yeah. perspective, even the little girl, you know, I mean, being, and 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 then the opportunity for new characters. I mean, I will, I will never forget Melania Trump the first time I went into, 
Melania Trump, when the punchline was that she gave Michelle Obama a little wooden box as a gift and she set it up. I gave him one uh, a little box. It was lovely. And then she opened it and inside a little card from me saying, help me. <laughs> <laughs> and the audience just went absolutely mad. And of course, you know, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so, so that, that was great. The chance we got, we got the chance to do new stuff. Um, and also take take you know all the characters and do stuff, but also do properly do radio because you know, when we when we done the first radio show, we weren't you know we were just doing sketches yeah. on radio. Whereas now you could slightly go back a bit and say, well, how you know what do you do? So we did those brilliant kind of Moena did these amazing sort of little radio documentaries about female astronauts, or and then and then she did Barbara Windsor talking about um, Danny Larue <laughs> and um, you know all these other people, and it was you know which was like like radio shows. And then she was also she also did Laura, um, Desert Island Dicks, which I don't think. Ever got out, uh, which is a shame. We must get them out at some point. Um, which was because Laura Levine had just taken over, uh, so she did a very good impersonation. Of her. So it was all that, and then and then uh, and of course, if Facebook could talk, which was yes. which was um, which was great fun. So that it was just gave us this opportunity to go back and and work with each other again, which was completely unforced. You know, we were all doing other things, but it was such a joy. Yeah, but well, I mean, it's like going back to your roots. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, going from the tv series was so so visual yeah yeah and then stripping it right back to its bare bones for the radio radio series yeah yeah and you and using that and uh and you know pete just he was just flying because he just you know it was great being able to do songs again and uh and not have to worry about you know big the, how you visualize them because it was a lot of it was in the ideas which was great and then you know him, and then him coming up with two-line terry with john Scott, oh! just... one of my favorites <laughs> yeah i mean just and it's so stupid and of course it's exactly what pete does which he does brilliant rhyming couplets for stuff um but never it never can't be arse carrying on for the rest of the song so it's quite good that you know uh we just did that for for for, for old two-line terry yeah, yeah but and 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 it was so sort of you know the audience at the or more i mean a lot of people came back for for each series um i then had a mirror of what had happened in in the uh with the television show was when I was able to, um, you know, my kids came to watch the show, which I never, you know, because they were, they were really not even, no, they weren't, they weren't born when we were doing. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely, yeah. they were born after that. Um, and, you know, they liked the video, the the, the VHSs we had of the show. Uh, my my eldest son used to learn little girls off by heart and read them. <laughs> read them. But he'd never really, they'd never really seen it. And for them to see it, and equally, they have their grandfather's laugh. So I can hear them laughing um, on the radio show, which was fantastic. And for them to be in the audience, well, that was a big, big moment for me, I have to say. that was. Yeah, uh, I still have the sensation. photo from when I got my book signed. So, oh, yeah, I see it. Oh, there it is! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's us. That's all of us. Marvelous. Um, so, so that was so that was great. And then, uh, and we did three series, I think, of the radio show. And then, mm. uh, I think, um, I think Radio Four thought that was enough of seventy complaints a night. And big, is... big, big, big shout out to Gus Beatty, an absolute legend of a man. Yeah, no, no. I mean, he, he's. It, it, we would. It, it just simply would not never have happened yeah, yeah. without him. And also. He was smart enough to convince us to come up to Glasgow, which 
you know wasn't always what we thought was our ideal thought and then we thought actually we've got a better chance of getting a good audience in Glasgow than we have in London so let's do it yeah oh he's and... so passionate about everything he does isn't he you know no, completely completely and his his absolute belief uh, which 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 began to feel like he was just overcompensating because he was <laughs> relentlessly upbeat about the idea that we're going to get this great show. It's going to be a great show. There's going to be lots yeah, of yeah. people. And then we arrived up and we were hoiked off to Radio Scotland where Jazz Forsyth was talking about it. Then we had a, a radio journalist on. I was like, well, we're just doing a half-hour radio show here. Yeah. And that was kind of weird. And then we got the reaction we got, which was fantastic. And then, uh, you know, then... The, but then the, the Oranmore audience uh, was became in a sense the sixth character of absolutely i think it was um uh you know it was a real it was very different from the television show uh, in the sense that they they all the, the audience almost comment you know i remember john sparks when he was doing like a really bad pun in the middle of a brilliant frank hobus and there'd be a laugh from the audience but it was a laughter that sort of communicated come on john we all know you can do better than that and it was just <laughs> lovely it was fantastic uh, you know, and also, you know, you always hear people when the Stony Bridge theme, they all start shouting Stony Bridge, and it's just, and that's fine, and it was great. And it, you know, in a television show, just stop, we can't have that, you know. Whereas radio, I don't know, it's just a bit looser, and certainly our show was, yeah, because we just had this uh amazing audience that we just couldn't get enough of. So, well, no, so I mean, you, you wouldn't think that the, the narrator of Peppa Pig could be so fit, so filthy. <laughs> yes no you wouldn't think that somebody so filthy would be cast as the writer of pepper pig to get the chrono- chronology correct they knew what they were getting they'd seen them they were big absolutely fans of a lot of them so yeah. they knew it's obviously um, another side to pepper that we we don't see you know? well but, but of course it was great because john was doing so much pepper pig that he just had all this filth that had to come out so he just <laughs> come to absolutely and it was just like this it's just like an enormous yeah. bubble movement that would arrive <laughs> on our scripts um which you know we were very very grateful for obviously yeah um, so i mean you've done so much so so much other stuff i lo- absolutely love seeing you popping up in <laughs> in things that i'm watching yeah in, you know robin hood obviously you're, you're probably very well known for being little john in the robin hood yeah. which was huge yeah yeah um, yeah you did great fun taggart the halcyon casualty a few times yes. casualty yes Doctors, vera yeah. Yeah, and at the moment, mammals. Uh, oh, James, James Corden, Corden hmm. James Corden sitcom on Amazon. Yeah, I'm in an episode of that, playing an playing an aggressive Scottish chef. Can't imagine who that's based <laughs> on. Um, uh, yeah, so I mean, you did everything. You know, you done Grantchester, Red Dwarf. You were in an episode. Yeah, I mean, has, yeah, yeah. has, there, has there been any sort of favourite roles that you've uh, that you've done over your career? Um, I, Little John, I loved um, because. It was it was one of those things that was written in a way that it I I sort I mean I got the part and it was fine, but it was sort of written as this guy that was stupid and and it's kind of edgy and um and I loved the idea he didn't say much but I kept insisting and I just changed lines a lot of the time to start with that he wasn't he just didn't say much because he didn't need to he, he had a commanding physical presence he wasn't a stupid and bless him Dominic Mangella to be fair to him did. Yeah, get on with that because I did just say you know you're just going to get people saying why have you got the big guys just being stupid it's such a kind of classic kind of cliche in a way and he's passionate and he cares but he just doesn't say much and that's fine so I, I love the sort of evolution of that and filming in and we filmed it all in in Hungary at a time when Hungary was uh, you know a fantastic place to be um, 
and uh, we had and we had a great cast, really nice people. And yeah, no, it was very, very good. I, I had a friend of mine that who's, who's, who does a he's a producer of commercials, and he said, "Oh, I've got Richard Armitage coming in. <laughs> What's he like?" And I said, "Oh, he's he's fine, he's fine." And uh, and then it just reminded me when we did Robin Hood because I I didn't do very many scenes. Richard Armitage was Guy of Gisborne, so he was the arch baddie. Yeah, yeah. We didn't do a huge number of scenes together, but we did some together. And it was always hilarious because as soon as he came in and he suddenly realized who the scene was, he'd go, oh, Christ, here we go. And he'd have to, <laughs> and he'd have to, he'd have to get down because he was actually, he was about two inches taller than me. And of course, it, that's not going to work when you play Little John. It was fine with Keith Allen because he only came up to my navel. <laughs> but with Richard Armitage, he was too. So he used to have to get down. It was almost like digging that trench like Paul Newman used to have all the actors working on things. So uh, Richard didn't, yeah, he was always very funny about that. So he was remembering that to my uh, producer friend. But yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, we're all still in touch because it was sort of a, a, a very interesting experience to do because we were, we were kind of making an action film every 14 days. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, an hour long uh, action because uh, there was so much physicality and fighting and stuff like that, that it was, it was almost like playing a sport rather than acting in a way. And, yeah. you know, people would get injured to do all that sort of stuff. So uh, yeah, I think, I think that was one of my favorite experiences. And then doing the, in theater, doing the James plays in 2014 and 15, when we did a, a history trilogy at the Edinburgh festival and then down at the National Theatre, I think that was my, uh, which was about James the First, Second, and Third of Scotland. So it's mm. a political relationship, but it was done across the referendum debate, which was really interesting, um, and uh, and that was great fun as well. Yeah, the Rocky I, I, Horror I, Show as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and that was fantastic. Um, <laughs> that was. I mean, I, it is funny when you, you know, you you, you forget about stuff a lot of the time. But I I have been incredibly lucky in the people that I've worked with mm. and also the shows I've done. I've done some, you know, massive shows. I mean, even the National Lottery, albeit that it was a kind of car crash of a kind of thing to for the BBC to do and stuff like that, was an extraordinary thing to be involved in. Yeah, yeah. And the pressure that was on all these people to deliver a show and you were sort of at the figurehead of it, but there's all these millions of other people underneath it that were trying to get this thing right in a, in a very difficult, in very difficult circumstances. So that was great. You know, they were all, you know, and I always think that thing, if you, if you can kind of learn something from every job you do, you're, you're doing all right. And I'm, and sadly I am still learning <laughs> quite a lot, um, but to be the, but the, but mammals was really, was great fun. Um, and, you know, James Corden could not have been nicer to work with and, and, you know, I know he, you know, he's he gets a very mixed press sometimes, which I think is just part and parcel of being famous these mm. days. But but certainly on the set, because he, you know, he was an exec producer of it. Yeah, it yeah. was episode four, so they were just over halfway in, so everyone was at their most stressed and knackered. That's always the point in a series when you're because the end isn't in sight and and it's just feeling a bit slog and it just felt like it was the first day in the set they were so fresh and open to ideas and and ready to work with people coming in just for one episode it was um it was a really lovely experience so yeah it was great fun yeah no I, I love seeing you popping up it's like casualty was a, was a nice prime example I was like, oh gordon <laughs> yeah no no absolutely <laughs> yeah no absolutely I, which was fun. when i actually did I, I came off my bike and went into a lamppost and i uh i fractured my jaw um and i so it was it was a it was i was laughing i mean this may sound maybe i was on drugs actually but i was laughing when i was wheeled in on the gurney with the with the plastic, with the spinal stretcher and the and the you know the all the stuff around you here to keep your neck straight because yeah. I've been on a bike, obviously come off a bike, and it was just a feeling of deja vu. I'd done it twice on Casualty, 
coming in. And the, and the set on casualty is like an A&E because you go in, the, the dock doors have been changed to the doors of a, an A&E place where you, they swing you in. And um, so they didn't quite understand why well, this guy with half his jaw down here <laughs> was laughing when he was when he arrived. in the Because you go into the triage place where you get assessed and especially you come in an ambulance, you get assessed very quickly. And they, they were so, and I couldn't really explain it because I was in this thing like this and I couldn't really talk. So uh, I did, they just had to accept the fact I was mad. It was all right. Like, do they film in it's a really stupid question, but do they film in an actual hospital or is it all no no it's it's studio? done in it's done in the television studios that were purpose but well, it used to be done in Bristol mm-hmm. um but then they built uh, studios in Cardiff uh they built a, a brand new purpose-built television studios where they make Doctor Who uh, oh, wow. the the Welsh sitcom publicum and casualty mm-hmm. and the Casualty is one corner of the warehouse where they have, so they can get ambulances driving in, stopping, coming out, doing wow. all the stuff. Yeah, and yeah. then the set's on on two levels. So you, there's stairs inside and, and it's like a, a hospital ward, but you can take walls down and get cameras in and stuff like that. But it just looks like, it looks like a hospital when you walk into it. It's just, um, yeah. Because what because the last casualty I did was called Casualty 30, which was to to celebrate 30 years. Because one of the creators of Casualties, Paul Unwin, who I know he's a he's a mate of mine, and um, they they realised they, they were going to film it live, and then they realised now with high def television that wouldn't work because there's so much colour correction yeah, yeah. and stuff that goes on. So then they decided to film an entire episode in one shot, and that was extraordinary to work on. That was uh, that that again was a really memorable show to do because there was 75 people, 30, 27 speaking actors and uh, 50 essays uh, and we we rehearsed it we rehearsed it for a week with Mm. cameras and blocking and doing all that stuff and then uh, we filmed I think we filmed it six times Uh, but we used only used one take but we did had six goes at it but that was extraordinary because I mean they they just because the, the crew were all dressed as hospital people so the sound crew had greens on and the and the camera crew had the purple uniforms on yeah yeah and the, and the focus puller was made up like an old man who was sitting like that and and he had a rug in front of him and actually the screen where his, where, the, where he was focusing was underneath this blanket he, i mean he looked like basically looked like he was playing with himself but they didn't really focus on it very much but i mean he was he, but he was he was doing all the focusing underneath this blanket it's quite extraordinary um thing to do and um yeah and 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 it was great but i i didn't come in on the camera script until page 20, 75 oh. so i was the last sort of main role in and i come in thinking my baby my baby's just died in a house that's burnt down and i think the person that killed my baby is in the hospital so i it's quite a big entrance mm. and you're doing it on a live show and the other people are much smaller than you so you, if you go in hard <laughs> enough i could actually just go straight through the wall at the end so that was quite interesting this was, giant uh, comes flying in. Yeah, that? no, exactly. I mean, the first when we're rehearsing it, I mean, the you know, we were just that nurse is broken. Can we get another one? Thanks. You know, it was um, yeah, it was quite tricky, but uh, yeah, no, it was great fun. Oh, some great of the, the stunts and stuff, like literally the first ten minutes of Casualty is a as helicopter crashes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this one, well, the, the the that was the only slight. I mean, it wasn't a cheat, but the my house blew up, and then they ran the credits. And then it was one shot. So it was the ambulance people wow. coming out of this burning house. Well, that was one of one of the takes had to stop because the the the, the ambulance on the way to so driving along a street that had been kind of closed off, 
it it comes across a motorbike that's had an accident and that's all part of the story and the, so the ambulance stopped and the guy got out and you, it's all being filmed from inside the ambulance and then you see this guy running in from the side who's seen it all and thinking this guy's just off his bike i better go and help so there's this samaritan comes in just member of the public comes in and the guy's broke he's ad limits it's all right mate I'll, i've called it in the ambulance is coming you don't need to worry about it. Says, no no i'll stay with them i'll stay with them oh no. so eventually we had to call cut but it was for for a really nice reason he got a massive round of applause from the rest <laughs> of the cast, which he couldn't hear of course because he was a mile away but we could see it on the monitors um but yeah yeah no that yeah so there you are you see it's funny when you start talking about it i just so little lucky peek behind little peek behind yeah 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 and then i did a spell on the scottish soap which was great fun river city up in scotland that was great fun so yes no i've been very lucky so yeah, you've done um, you've done it all done it literally yeah. everything and um, you're very involved in absolutely productions yeah as well uh, I particularly love Murray's radio series Alone, which yeah. you know, yeah. just keeps getting commissioned and commissioned and commissioned. It's great. We're just waiting to hear on another one. Hopefully that will that will come through. But yes, no, it's very it's brilliant because it, it it just it's definitely about something and it's great because it doesn't it doesn't sort of sing it from the highest sound. But it's very interesting the the feedback you get from people of that idea of being you know over halfway through your life and you're on your own again quite a lot of the time or you're still on your own and what that means and is it are you lonely have you got friends mm. is your life moving on is it is this it that sort of thing and it's brilliant because he doesn't really bang on about any of that but it's all there um and also just with a fantastic cast that do it it's uh it does sound great when yeah um, yeah we had we had bennett aaron was on the uh the podcast yeah, yeah. a little while back yeah, but I mean, it, it's kind of testament, isn't it, to Murray's writing that he, that that some that someone like Ben can be very funny. I'll tell him he said that. Um, yes, no, you're absolutely. He knows. Right. He knows. No, 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 I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, no, it is, and it is. It's great. It's just great writing and great performing. Um, and I mean, the the history of that show is quite interesting because we we pitched it to Sean and William when she was head of ITV way back. I mean, fifteen, sixteen years mm. ago. And uh, she loved it with that cast, exactly that cast. And she loved it. And then she left ITV. Paul Jackson came in, thought it was okay. Wasn't sure it was what he wanted to do, which is absolutely fine. So uh, died. And then Shauna became head of Radio 4. And I said to my, we should see if she quite likes that. And so I just mentioned it to her one day on the phone. I said, oh God, I'd love that. Uh, especially for that, that cast was brilliant. So I phoned, I phoned the agents of all, or emailed the agents of all the cast. And by the end of the day, they'd all, because I thought they wouldn't remember it, and they'd all come back and said they wanted to do it. Fantastic. So we were very lucky. And uh, uh, and they, they love it too. So it's, it's great fun. Great yeah. fun. So, I mean, going back, we talked initially, uh, right at the very, very start, about your, your huge uh, advocate for sport. Yeah, the Lord's Taverners. Yeah, 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 yeah. So anybody that's not heard of the Lord's Taverners, can you tell us a little bit about it? It's all to do with cricket, isn't it, obviously? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's help. It's basically helping children who are, uh, who are disadvantaged for whatever reason, be it physical, mental, social, financial, uh, just helping them to fulfil their potential through cricket, which may seem a bit like the start of an absolutely sketch in the sense of it being a non sequitur. But it is extraordinary. We're, we're, we work with between 11 and 12,000 kids throughout wow. the country mm. um, with three main programmes, uh, table cricket, which is for quite severely disabled physical 
uh, kids. So they they all play in their schools, and then there's a big final at Lords. Um, three three years ago, four year, three year four years ago, the final. Uh, Shane Warren happened to be in Lords, the famous Australian, and he just heard this was going on. He came over and presented the prizes. Wow. It's an extraordinary thing. And then we do Super Ones, which is for children who are are, are more able, but also may have. Uh, mental health issues uh, and they all play outside they tend to play outside and again through the pandemic the whole thing of isolation if you're a kid that has that needs help uh, more support than than other kids you get completely isolated so it became even more important coming out of the pandemic that we help those children and then there's um, wickets which is a, a social um, thing that goes into areas that have certain problems to a lot of it to do with deprivation some to do with you know gangs or whatever and yeah, the, yeah. the the kind of the people that are seen as the as 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 the enemy like police and ambulance and fire they all help run the courses and then because they all get a meal afterwards but at that meal they get you know somebody talking to them about Ooh. the the bad the downside of gang warfare or radicalization yeah, yeah. whatever it is and these programs have all been running nice so that we now have ambassadors going around the country have all been through these programs some of them you know do really well they go into employment but they basically we try to get them to fulfill, overcome difficulties and fulfill their potential. And it's extraordinary the 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 effect that all this stuff has. And just just today they've announced that the Lord's Taverners are going to run the the the, the Super One type sessions in uh, SEN schools throughout England. And um, that's a massive thing for the charity. It's a massive thing for the SEN schools to recognise that in in cahoots with the the cricket board and a chance to shine, which is another cricket charity. Mm. They're going to run these uh, in, in, in all the schools because they've seen the programs and they just realize they're very good, which is, and it's kind of weird that it's cricket, but it is and it, and it works. And it's, um, it's really interesting to watch. Uh, and they, and they go off on residential courses as well. So it's all, it's all that sort of stuff. So it's, yeah. And I, I'm very passionate about it and I love playing cricket. I do play cricket now. I play for, um, Middlesex over 60s, second 11, which is mm-hmm. a huge pinnacle of my cr- cricketing career. Um, and I play for the Lord's Taverners, so I, I, I love it. And um, and as I say, the Lord's Taverners is a massive, uh, a massive um, thing in my life, but it does it does a lot of good. And in yeah. Ireland. It, it, yeah, it, so you were, you were coaching as well for a little while. Yeah, yeah, I coached rugby for a while. And then um, uh, when my son was playing, and then uh, I'd sometimes help with the Taverners when we we're doing stuff and we're touring and things as well. So yeah, no, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that. I get it was a bit like doing absolutely again. It was something I never thought I'd get to do once I'd stopped being a PE teacher, was was get involved in in coaching again. And I did for about 10 years when my son was uh, growing up and playing rugby um at Wasps in London. And yeah. uh, it was just it was just the best to to get a, a second chance. Yeah. Uh, uh, in, in a very similar way as we did for absolutely. Very famous team as well, aren't they? I mean, yes. you're running as well. I see when I see your Twitter, you're you're doing marathons. Yes, I well, I tend to do my my wife does the marathons. I don't do marathons. I do I, I do triathlons, and even then, by the time we get to the running phase, it's it's all about pride. It's not, <laughs> there's no running going on. It's kind of walking, wheezing, screaming, screaming to the god, why don't I do this? But, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's good fun, and I, we do it out at um, uh, Blenheim. Palace, these run a big triathlon weekend and it's a sprint one it's tiny yeah it's yeah like, yeah it's a 750 yard swim 20 kilometer cycle ride and a 5k run so it's oh, not wow. very it's not very long 
but we do it but it's it's a guy who lives near us and it's 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 all about uh, near Kensal Rise and we just support a lot of local charities in the area so it's it's called Good for the Hood and they put this team in and you, you do all this stuff so uh, yes yeah, so I'll be doing it again this year in some way or form um, but it's uh, yeah and, it, and I'm very lucky because all the, the all the hard the graft of organising and you know all that stuff other people do I just go in and either play cricket or sign the chart. <laughs> shake somebody's hand so i'm very lucky in what i do i get a great life out of it but so I, many I, strings to your bow gordon so yeah strings. So let's talk a little bit about music yeah. now yeah have there been any sort of big music loves in your life be it a band or, or an artist yes i mean it started uh yeah, I mean, it probably started with um, status quo. Um, Pete uh, got me into status quo and smoking at exactly the same time. Francis <laughs> Rossi, quite famously, had a picture of him in a waistcoat and he had a packet of 10 embassy fags sticking out the top of his waistcoat. So just for set dressing, we have to have cigarettes. Um, and we used to go through, status quo used to do, I used to tour Britain you know, I mean, quite unusually in that, those days, because live music wasn't as live as it is now, as mm. as as varied as it is now. Um, but they used to do a tour kind of every year. And when we were about maybe 16, 15, 16, we really started getting into them. And they used to play at the Apollo Theatre in Glasgow. And so Pete would, would organise it all and we'd get tickets and we'd all go through. Uh, and it was it was also my first sort of experience of Glasgow as a teenager, which yeah, yeah. coming from Edinburgh is quite frightening when you think you're going through, you immediately assume that Jimmy Boyle's going to come out and shoot you or something <laughs> like that. Um, God, I'm sure you wouldn't like me for saying that now. Anyway, but, but, you know, you just had this image of Glasgow gangland and stuff like that. And then, of course, you go there. And I remember the first time we went there, we were all in the pub by the station. I mean, we must have looked about 12, but they gave us a beer to drink. And I got talking to this guy because I was paying for the drinks. And he said, oh, I reckon that you're actually through from Edinburgh. And I was going, yes, but no, don't kill me. And he was just chatted away. And uh, then, so I got the beers and turned around. And then just before he went, he just came over and he had a huge bag of crisps that he'd bought at the bar. And he just said, here he goes, son, just so you don't, don't let the drink take you too much. Get something <laughs> to eat as well. And he said, have a great time. See you later. And he walked out of the pub. And it was just the idea that that would happen in Edinburgh. It just wouldn't happen or yeah, in yeah, those yeah. days. And it was just fantastic. So then we would go to the Apollo. And the Apollo, the atmosphere in the Apollo, it, I mean, I, it must have been for them a bit like us doing doing the or and more in Glasgow because it was just mental now that's all we knew yeah yeah we just assumed that every but of course then they decided to record the live album they did it at the Apollo in Glasgow yeah. because that was always the best reaction and they were just hilarious because they were just you know you you it would just be going mental and Francis Ross you got the microphone go save yourselves save yourselves we're on for an hour and a half save yourself all this stuff and it was just fantastic so that was probably the first big um band live music experience mm. and then uh free and bad company i was very into we ended up going when we were on holiday as sort of 17 18 years down in france we went to a, a music festival in orange that um bad company were playing at um and really sort of unbeknownst certainly unbeknownst to me there's people like nico and uh, jj kale and all these we were massive sort of european music stars at the time i didn't really know them at all mm. and bad company was a bit 
rather commercial for the rest of the tour. So they were slightly frowned upon, but we were we were all massive bad company fans. So we and but playing in this Roman um uh, amphitheater was just extraordinary um with the acoustics and just as the sun set in orange, it was just absolutely beautiful. So that was kind of the start of it. And then um and then you know once I got down to London, your sort of music my music taste became very eclectic. It was all over the place, um, which was good because there's lots of good music venues. Um, and then also, you know, Pete and I, we we did a band and toured a bit um, after Absolutely called The Hairstyles because Pete was bald by then, so we needed quite a lot of wigs. <laughs> so he called it The Hairstyles, which is frankly the worst camouflage for somebody wanting to wear a wig I've ever heard in my life. But anyway, we did a whole lot of stuff and, and we've just found, funnily enough, we've just found some footage of us playing and on tour because we used to do a tour. We used to do Edinburgh late yeah. and live which was great fun. And then we'd go, um, but then a couple of times we did a tour where we'd start in London and go up, do a gig in Edinburgh and then end up at the Lemon Tree in Aberdeen, mm. which is this really lovely, still going out, um, gig that we did up there. So we did, um, we filmed one of the gigs as well as having a video camera with us, which is, it was, it's hilarious because Pete's edited it all together and it's just hilarious, but it's not, it will never be seen. I can tell you now, it will <laughs> never be seen. It's only for us to watch and slightly, slightly through hands like that. Christ. Um, but, it, but it was quite interesting just to see it again because it was quite a mad show, you, featuring a lot of music from Absolutely and a Stony Bridge Cayley in the middle of it and stuff like that. So it was good fun. Yeah, I mean, were you much of a... Um... I'm assuming you were a bit, a bit of a gig goer in your youth. Uh, would yeah. the status quo be the probably the best gig you've been to, or uh, God, live band? Um, it was fun. We went to two or three of them, which is fantastic. Um, actually, I think the best core cool gig we ever went to was when uh, Pete got us tickets to go to the Playhouse, uh, and we turned up, and Pete had got us tickets for the Friday night, and this was Saturday night, oh, and no. he hadn't looked at the tickets. Um, and uh, the guy, and he just saw our faces. He obviously sort of saw the fact we were fans. So he said, wait a minute, son. And we, we waited. And then we were taken in just before the band went on and put right down in the kind of the press seats where in the first three rows oh, of the wow. playhouse in Edinburgh. Because Pete would not have survived had had we not done that. He would have been killed there and then. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, uh, funnily enough, when we went to, when we were doing Robin Hood, we used to go to the Zigit Festival in Budapest, mm -hmm. which is, it's was kind of the furthest east, the kind of the European music festival scene goes. So it was a very eclectic, it was just everything was yeah, there yeah. from, you know, um, five, you know, five finger death punch to, um, you know, whatever, Mumford and Sons. It was just everything was there. And, um I remember, and and the kids at that stage were sort of teenagers, so they would go and see their their bands there as well. And I remember going with James to see the Chemical Brothers there, and that is possibly one of the best gigs I've ever been to because he was absolutely. He looked like I mean, if you looked at if you looked at me the father, he said, "Why have you given your son drugs?" And I absolutely hadn't. He hadn't had anything to drink. But he was just mesmeric for two hours, and he and he loved, and I absolutely loved. It. I'd never seen anything like it. The I mean, the the stage show, of the yeah, 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 was extraordinary. So yeah, so we had a few really good gigs there, and watching uh, the Rolling Stones at. Puskas Stadium in Budapest, which is this concrete, brutalist seventies communist stadium, football stadium, and they were there. And uh, the Hungarian for "thank you" is "kosonom," or "thank you very much" is "kosonom," "kosonom sepan." And Mick Jagger, just after every song, he just go "kosonom sepan" <laughs> like that, which was just fantastic. But it was a good gig. 
And it was brilliant because there was very young guys in the cast and me, and then there were some directors who were even older than me. Yeah. And it was just amazing, the, the generations that were spanned by their music. And it was a really, you know, not especially these days, not every Rolling Stones gig is a good gig, but this one was yeah. was a really good one. So that was great fun. Yeah. So, what what sort of stuff do you listen to in the car when you're out when you're out and about? When I'm out in the back, I, do you know what? I I listen to a lot of speech radio in the car now. And yeah, I don't yeah, know why. Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm just getting old. Um, but I'm loving the rest is politics at the moment. I'm obsessed by that. I really enjoy that. Um, and they've just sold out the Albert Hall, and I didn't get tickets. Wow. For yeah, three nights. It's extraordinary. So, uh, I, yeah, I listen to a few few podcasts, but. But a lot of the other thing I really love doing is just in the car. If it's if it's got a, a DAB radio, is listening to Four Extra because you just suddenly get something from like the nineteen fifties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's sort of it's sort of some very clipped clipped English tone drama. <laughs> I, how dare you? I, I shall slap you if you don't stop crying, darling, and all this sort of stuff. And that's always quite interesting because it is like it's just potluck, but you always end up listening to. It. And then sometimes just real vintage comedy, like some of the early stuff that all the Pythons had done, and all those sorts of people. It's just it's extraordinary. Yeah. So I mean, you were talking about mammals earlier. Um, yeah. Any, anything else you're working on at the moment? Uh, yeah, it's uh, one or two things. We just we've just made a television show out of a radio show, uh, which with Mira Sayal, and and I'm in that now as well. Oh, I wasn't in the radio fantastic. show. Mm. Yeah, so uh, that will probably come out in the springtime on uh, Acorn, which he got on Prime. So it's it's a crime drama. But it was it was it was called Mrs. Sidhu. It was the thing that we did there. Um, so that will be. I'll probably get into trouble by mentioning that. But, um, I'm an executive producer. We'll edit it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the uh, yeah. So that was that's been really almost the whole summer. Uh, been doing that, and 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 I, what I loved in lockdown was I started doing more and more uh, computer games, voices. Uh, and there's one I don't even know what the game's called the one I'm involved in at the moment but it means every once a month I go into Soho at sort of seven o'clock at night because they're in America and you record stuff and they and they're always so enthusiastic oh, God, and yeah. lovely about it and I just always think that probably they aren't but it was uh, but there was, there was one character I was doing that was um they showed me a picture of the character and basically he's a druid who has been nailed upside down to a tree Okay, so so you're going through this game, which as you can imagine, it's not a bundle of laughs. This oh game is not a comedy game, uh, and you come across this guy, and you have to go through a swamp, and the swamp is a, is swamp like because of his blood. So his blood, he's been bleeding into this swamp for years, right. nailed upside down. So I had to do this. So they said, yeah, but we think he's a bit Scottish. And go, okay, yeah, it's like it's like it's it's like a yeah, it's like a metaphor for the Scottish nation, pal. You're quite right. Um, so so then I did the character. Uh, and you know it was fine did it and and it was so funny at the end the writer said yeah thanks very much Gordon I'm just going to go now when everyone else says goodbye because I need I need to go and cuddle my children <laughs> <laughs> which which I which I felt kind of um, meant I'd done my job oh, I feel way. quite proud of that I think. yeah yeah because <laughs> frankly you you wrote it mate not me I'm not the one designing that I'm just going to do the voice but so so uh yeah so I've, I've been quite enjoying that recently as well that's been a new that's a new new <laughs> new a new string to my bow I never thought I had because 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 obviously during lockdown the people that first really got on that were the the games people yeah yeah suddenly and it was all it was all slightly games that had a an element of putting different levels on top of it a bit like minecraft mm. 
Yeah, yeah. So there's one. There was one I was involved in that I used to come on the the line, and the the guy was in te- the editor was in Texas, the producer was in Los Angeles, and the writer was in New York, and I was in Wills and Green. It was hilarious. Um, and they used to uh, say, "Oh yeah, no, that's that's uh, that, that that's great." And then then they would do another level the next week. We did that for about six months. It was um, which is always good fun because it is funny because it because you never get to see the I mean I, I would never get to see the finished product because I would never do those games probably um so it is very funny it's really like doing it in a vacuum and just ho- hoping that their um huge enthusiasm that that Americans begin and end each day with is carried on through uh, and actually it does mean you're doing a good job but it's been good fun yeah oh, it's something you need to check out go and see what these <laughs> what's going on yeah, with games. yeah well for, for the the one I was the one I was doing in lockdown I was playing a guy called Thaddeus Thaddeus Verkaiten, who is this extraordinary bloke who had a big punch and, and was was a real uh, monster. And I didn't know anything about it. And then one day the guy said, just hang around for a minute, Gordon, after the producer and the writer had gone off. And then he started showing me this stuff. And there was this massive Twitter storm all about this guy. And they'd, they'd nick, the fans of the show had nicknamed him Thaddy Daddy. And uh, they rather liked this deep-voiced, gruff Scottish person. Oh, they'd my no, God. They had no idea it was me. And I, I had no idea that they listened to it and it, but it was brilliant because i suddenly got all these tweets and started sending them to my agency and look at the <laughs> you need to cast me in the next <laughs> game of thrones but it was uh that was great fun um so yes yeah, so i was a, i was an internet an internet minor sensation <laughs> for about five minutes um and then uh so yeah. how does it work do they do they show you an image of what you're going to be voicing yeah i mean generally speaking they'll show you or sometimes they have um it, it depends how near they are to finishing the game normally the voices are done quite late on so they might even have pretty good animation or yeah, at least yeah. pencil drawing animation that you'll see and and pretty detailed and they'll have very detailed character notes about mm. the characters because obviously they've got hundreds of characters so they want them all to be very different um and you know sometimes with the scottish ones they'll get you to do you know two or three different scottish because they'll just have the this is this 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 area is a sort of scottish sort of area so they'll get you to do two or three different characters in the end but yeah no it's, it's great fun like just uh, a, a very generic <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, you just you know you just try and do as many different accents as you can and they all go wow that's amazing i didn't realize you scattered so many accents i said that's not the half of it you get somebody good mate you really see the number of accents we've got but um yeah no it's it's uh it's good fun it's it's certainly it's certainly it's more fun than doing like commercial voiceovers which is which is fine because it's paid well but my god that can be a bit dull at times because you're just seeing the same thing over and over again at least these guys like a bit of input so it's good yeah fun. i know john sparks does a few uh yeah you're always yeah. hearing him like yeah yeah no i, I used to have a burgeoning commercial career in uh in voiceovers until 2008 happened and then and then the financial market Market stopped trusting Scottish voices, and, and that was it. It used to be great, uh, uh, but not now, not so much. Yeah, maybe you should in- incorporate one of the the Stony Bridge nasal. Yes, yes, for one of the games, you know. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that, I just haven't done that yet. That'd be quite good fun. That could be yeah. an idea for the next yeah. one. Or just, or just start doing other ripping off other absolute characters. So <laughs> Callum, Frank Hovis, <laughs> Frank Hovis in a computer game. God, that'd be brilliant. Oh, I would, on, I would yeah. pay to see that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to rip your head right off. <laughs> but you wonder how he got away with some of the, some of the stuff he'd he'd cut he'd come out with. You'd be like, oh yeah, my god! I, it's always funny because we always we always Even wondered about it. Yeah, we we always wondered about that when we were doing stuff, and it, it. I don't know. I think I think part of it is there's an in very difficult to 
mess with his logic of where he gets to when he gets to something completely filthy. Um, <laughs> you know, it's sort of it feels very that he's led there, and and there's almost something apologetic about John when he's saying <laughs> the really rude stuff. He's gone. I, I don't really want to tell you this, but I was I I, I played my wife's anus like a trumpet, you know, or whatever it is, and and it's be and it's sort of you know he's not sort of going and then I did the, you know and he's sort of not showing off about it, he's apologising for it, and I think it's like a very clever con, I I really do because I think people don't get so offended by it, and I think he gets away with it. I mean, it's yeah. extraordinary. When I think how I have to you know doing sitcoms, how you have to watch language and stuff like that. And we're doing absolutely, and we'd, we'd run a lot of stuff past them. And every now and again, we'd have stuff compliance-wise we need to watch out for, especially with news, 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 because that was always, if there was an event that aped what we were taking the piss out of, we would have to change it. But um, no, it was really interesting, um, that thing. But it was even the same in television. It's the same thing with, with Frank in television. He just, he always looked like he was slightly apologising, but he just had to tell him that he'd had a crap in the back of a tank <laughs> or whatever it was, because that's what happened. It's not that, you know, and you know, I was the bus was coming, and 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 so was you know, and all that sort of stuff. And it's just, it is very clever because it's very, and of course, his voice is so so it's very gentle and deep and soporific and lovely. So it's it's just it's a great juxtaposition. Always has been, uh, always works well. Yeah. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Oh, Gordon. listen, it's, it's been my an pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Paul, that's in no way repaying what you did for oh, us. No, seriously. I couldn't uh, have not done it. I couldn't. Well, not, it's not. fantastic, and uh, it had to be done. No, no, not at all. But it's been an absolute pleasure. 